Well, good morning. Glad to see you all here today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And while you're turning, I know they probably mentioned this, but next Sunday is Anniversary Sunday. And we're planning to have a wonderful service and we'll do some reminiscing and talk about God's faithfulness. And we'll have a meal. The church is going to provide the meat. And uh, if, if you would just come, bring a friend, bring a side dish, that'll be sufficient for us next Sunday morning. It'll be a good day. If you have your Bibles there, Deuteronomy chapter 8. We've been looking for the last week or so on this issue of stewardship. And this morning I want to continue that theme by taking a look at the purpose of poverty. (laughs) thought that might be relevant for some of you. Maybe for a lot of you. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, I've got verse 3 up here, but I'm going to start reading in verse 2 and go through verse 5. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, You shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that He might humble you, Test you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger. Notice that phrase. He let you hunger or lack. And then he fed you with manna, which you did not know he could do. To make you, nor did your fathers know. And this was to make you know man does not live by bread alone, but he lives by every word or every decree that God speaks. Verse 4 Your clothing didn't wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. And verse 5 Know in your heart that as a man disciplines his son or child, the Lord your God disciplines you. Moses is taking a look back here in Deuteronomy. It's his farewell speech. It comes at the end of the 40 years of wilderness wandering. And In chapter 8, he looks back at the lessons that God had been teaching them, that God had wanted to teach them. Verse 2 says, You are to remember the whole way the Lord your God led you. The things he taught you, it's not just wasted time. Part of God's teaching is during periods of poverty. Verse 3, He let you hunger. He let you do without. 
And I know America is prosperous, but you realize that a lot of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Uh, about three-fourths, one study said, of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And they don't have any margin of error. If an emergency came up, they would be in, in trouble. And I get that. Uh, in fact, I've spent more time in poverty than I have in prosperity. Years ago, I was in a committee meeting with some men. I think it was a finance committee. And we were talking about our giving and uh, I brought up earned income credit. I said, one of the things that I get is earned income credit. Yeah, anybody know that? You know what that is? Earned in, that's when you make so little, the government pays you. <laughs> and none of them in the room knew what that was. But I did. I know what it is to go without to struggle, to live on handouts. And I have learned some things, and this, this chapter has come to mean a lot to me. How and why does God let us go through periods of poverty? Deuteronomy 8 lays that out for us. Let's look at four things God says he was teaching them, that he was doing in their lives when he let them hunger. First, verse 2, he was humbling them. Look at verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you. Same in verse 3. And he humbled you and let you hunger. One of the things that tends to happen to people with money is they tend, it's not always so, but there's a tendency to arrogance and independence. Proverbs 18.23 says, The poor use entreaty, but the rich answer roughly. You see, a rich person, he's got what he needs. He's, he doesn't need you, and he's suspicious that you're going to try to take his wealth, and so he's not courteous. But the poor... They recognize they need others. They need parents. They need grandparents. They need credit cards. No, strike that one out. They don't need credit cards. The poor use entreaty. The rich answer roughly. Being rich can make you a jerk. It can. It's not necessarily so. But look at verse 2 again. Remember the way he led you for 40 years that he might humble you. We don't take to this naturally. It takes an act of God and a work of God in our lives to humble us. 
And so whatever it costs, you want humility in your life. That is, you attribute everything you have to God and others. He teaches us courtesy, sympathy, dependence on others. These are the things that go with humility. A second thing that he does in times of poverty is he tests us. Look at verse 2 again. And you're to remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. It is easy sometimes for people to serve God when God blesses them. But what if he takes you through a period when there's not sufficiency and you wonder, why am I serving God? What profit is there in this? Remember, this was Satan's argument in Job chapter 1. Satan In Job chapter 1 verse 9, Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has? You have blessed the work of his hands. His his possessions have increased. But if you stretch out your hands and take away what he has, he'll curse you. This was Job's accusation. Job did not believe that people would worship God unless they could get something out of it that God wasn't worthy of worship unless he gives you stuff. And what God showed was he tested them to see what is in their heart. How would they respond to this adversity of lack? This was the second thing he'd done in a period of poverty. God is worthy of worship if he doesn't answer your prayers and he doesn't give you anything. The angels worship and God hadn't given them families. They worship but they don't have a house. The angels worship but they don't have salaries. How much does God pay an angel? (laughs) Nothing. Angels worship, they don't have redemption, and yet they worship. You know why? Because they know God is worthy. So he uses poverty to humble us, to test us, and then third, look at verse 3 and 4. He shows us God's blessing is what matters. Everything else is non-essential. Verse 3, He humbled you, He let you hunger, He fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that He might make you know a man does not live by bread alone, but he lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is, it doesn't mean uh, living by the Bible, which that's important, but what what He means here is by living, a man lives by the decree of God that you live. What proceeds, like in creation, let there be light, there was light. You live off of what God decrees. 
And because there's, you're in the wilderness and there's no bread, all of a sudden you realize, hey, we made it. God gave us manna from heaven. I didn't know about that. My fathers didn't know about that. But I survived because God decreed it. And that's what he, he means by that. See, he says, your fathers did not know and you did not know. You don't know where it's coming from. Your fathers don't know where the provision's coming from, but it shows up. Somehow, God got you through. And there was no, there was no way you could see that coming. The purpose of poverty is to bring you to a point where you realize you made it because God decreed that you make it. And it wasn't because you sowed the seed and reaped the harvest and then baked the bread and there you don't live by bread alone. The natural order of things. He provides what you never thought of. God's blessing on a thing is what matters. And that includes our cars, our homes, our children, our marriages. I had a, <clears throat> when I was, I think this was the late 70s, I had never had a new car. I, and I, and my, the only car I'd ever owned was a Volkswagen. And I decided, I was pastoring in Weatherford, Texas, and I decided I'm going to get a new car. And this is going to be a good one. I bought me one of them long Chrysler Cordovas. Yellow. Had a CB put in it. Remember those? Anybody remember those? Breaker, breaker, good buddy. This is preacher man, 10-4. And, I mean, there wasn't any cell phones or smartphones. Uh, that was the new thing. And I knew in my back of my mind, uh, this is not really what God wanted. And I did it without asking Jan. Boy, that's a clue. <laughs> you can pretty much count on it. If you don't want to ask your wife, you probably know the will of God. But it was, it was this huge new Chrysler in which I sank into debt over. And uh, I looked like a pimp driving up into church parking lot. And I went to a bookstore in Fort Worth and I was in the bookstore and, and I, I had parked the car and you know how you got this new car and you park it away from everything. And so I had kind of parked it where I thought it was safe and I went in the bookstore and I heard this screeching of tires and it, and it kind of went on and on like something was going around and around and then I heard crash. And somebody, one of the men in the bookstore looked out the window and said, oh man, look at that. And I go, oh. 
out of at least 50 cars, this woman's accelerator had stuck and she had gone around the parking lot and finally ran into the back of my Cordova. Mm. Was that God? I mean, how do you pick a yellow Cordova out of a parking lot of 50? But it wasn't all lost because I had it towed to the body shop. They said, we, we think we can fix this up. And uh, so they parked it outside and that night it hailed. <laughs> and I mean, when I say hailed, it's like baseball hail. And it beat that yellow Cordova so bad I couldn't even recognize it. It's done. There went my yellow Cordova. Preacher man is off the air. <laughs> I had it, but God's blessing wasn't on it. Did you know one of the weirdest things is I bought a Bible one time. I mean, surely God's blessing is on a Bible. It was a seal-skin Bible, the last batch they ever made, $200 for this thing. And seal-skin was the smoothest uh, cover on a Bible that they made. Still is, but they don't, it's, not, it's against the law now. And oh, I had my name put on that and embossed in gold letters. And I thought, man, I can preach now. <laughs> Took that thing home. We had a peek-a-poo dog named Muffin. He was one-eyed. <laughs> By the way, my favorite book in the Bible is Ephesians. And that evening, that peekapoo opened the Bible, my sealskin Bible, flipped through the pages to Ephesians. And from chapter 1 to chapter 6, he chewed that right out of there. I am telling you the truth. I said, why didn't you chew out Leviticus? <laughs> I went in debt for that Bible. I didn't need that Bible. And God's blessing wasn't on it. I have learned this, dear friends. I'm not all, I don't always have his blessing, but I know that when I don't have his blessing, I'm finished. I know that. And with his blessing, I don't care if I've got bread in the, in the pantry or groceries on the shelf. If I don't have his blessing, that's not going to nourish me. I can have a bank account that's full, but it just takes one word to undo me. Cancer. One word. Tumor. One word. Divorce. And no amount of money is going to un can fix some of these things. The blessing of God on $100 is better than the lack of God's blessing on $1,000. I believe that with all my heart.
And God said, I, I took you out there because I wanted to teach you. It's not you're having bread that gets you through the wilderness. It's me pronouncing provision on your behalf. Proverbs 18.11 says, The rich man's wealth is his strong city. A high wall in his imagination. <laughs> He's got money in the bank. That's his strong city. It's like a high wall. It's a protection. Right? In his imagination. Not in reality. So why does he take us through the wilderness? Why does he suffer us to hunger? He's teaching us that God's blessing is everything. God's blessing is what matters. Here's a fourth thing. He's teaching us, he's preparing us for future prosperity. Look at verse 5. Know in your heart then as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. See, there are some things that a father can't give his son. He's too young. You can't give him a car when he's 13. You can't give a child candy before bed. You have to withhold some things. What he's saying here in verse 5 is, Know in your heart as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. As a man disciplines his son. Let me tell you something. Your poverty is designed from the heart of your heavenly Father who loves you. <laughs> Think about that. Now there's your view. That's, you don't hear that on the prosperity preachers. Poverty is a blessing from God. <laughs> Good luck finding that on whatever channel you look but that's what he's saying. God is disciplining you through this time when he suffered you to hunger. He's, as a father would discipline his son, he's keeping you back, verse 6, so you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you to a good land. See, this is the whole point, verse 7. He's bringing you to a good land, brooks of water, fountains and springs. Verse 8, a land of wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive trees, honey. Verse 9, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, and you will lack nothing. Verse 10, and you will eat and be full and bless the Lord your God. He's... he's in this time of poverty, he's teaching you things because there's future prosperity. And he's training you so that when your prosperity comes, it will not destroy you, but the prosperity will be sustainable. Oh, can I get an amen in here? <laughs> Thank you, sir. See, there ha it's a certain kind of person. You realize that most people who, who gain sudden wealth lose it within five years. No matter how much it is, they are able to lose it. So he's teaching you so that when you... 
He, he has no plans to keep you poor. He's taking you into prosperity, taking you into a land of abundance, but he's getting you ready by lessons you've learned in poverty. So when you get into abundance and prosperity, you will not become proud and lifted up and independent of God and his people. Let's see. Look at verse 13 and 14. When your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all you have is multiplied, then your heart can be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. See, God has not destined them to remain in poverty and lack and necessity, struggling day by day, but he's teaching them and growing them and cultivating them so that when it comes, they won't forget, verse 14, the Lord your God. Look at verse 16. He is the one who fed you in the wilderness with manna. Your fathers didn't know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. In the end. But beware, look at verse 17. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. Rather, you're to remember the Lord your God for he gives you power to get wealth. Like a parent with a child, you can't give someone something that they will hurt themselves and others. When I was in high school, we had a rich kid named Tack Wall. Talented, tall, good looking, popular. His, his parents, I think he was about 16 or 17, and his parents gave him this muscle car, supercar. Uh, and I was trying to remember the, the name of it, what kind it was, but it, you know, it was a big wheels and, and it would fly. And it had this muffler on it. It just, when he would pull in, then you could hear the sound this big car was making as he pulled into the parking lot and all the girls would look out the window, kind of like they did when I came on my bicycle. <laughs> and one night, uh, and I'm trying to think of the girl who sang this, but there was, a, there was an old country song named, uh, called You Don't Love Me Anymore. And that was like one of his favorite songs. And he was going around a curve. He had another kid with him. And he, he, went, he was going so fast he went off the road and hit a tree and died on the spot. 
took surgery to get the steering wheel out of his face. That's how bad it was. They named it, they named that curve, Dead Man's Curve. I still hear that plaintiff song on occasion. You don't love me anymore. Y'all remember that? Or is that just my generation? Patsy Klein, that's who it was. Patsy Klein. And every time I hear that song, which is not that often, but I think of Tackwall. Too much, too soon. God says, I love you. As a father disciplines his son, I'm going to hold it back till you can handle it. Now, by the way, this is for Christians. This is a message for Christians. If you're not a Christian, just don't apply. Suffering doesn't really have meaning to people who are not Christians. But to the Christian, everything is an expression of God's love to you. And that means necessities, adversities, poverty. And He'll see you through it and teach you things because in the future, He will do you good. What a wonderful God we serve. What a wonderful God. Let's thank Him this morning with our tithes and offerings. Let's say, Lord, I trust You. I trust you. This may not be, my 10% may not be much this morning, but it's my expression of trust. And I thank you for your love to me. All right, guys, you come, ushers, you come, and let's worship with our tithes and offerings. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning that you have place so much meaning in even some of the worst times of life. I pray your blessing today upon each one here. May we learn in these trials, in these times of lack and necessity, may we learn that you love us and that you're faithful and true. Now we worship you, we trust in you as evidenced by our giving today in Jesus' name. Amen.